Welcome to the CIS Voices Podcast. This podcast features Davidson College seniors speaking about their experiences in the Center for Interdisciplinary Studies, referred to as CIS or the Center. I'm Jane Mangan, the current CIS Director, and I'll be your host. Today, I'm speaking with Dahlia Kurtkovich, who is a global literary theory major, and she's working with advisors, Professor Caroline Fosch and Professor Carl Plank. Thanks for being with us today, Dahlia. Thank you for having me. So I, I want to start at the beginning and ask you when you came to Davidson, what you thought your major would be. Oh, um, it's embarrassing to say that I thought I was going to be a poli-sci econ major or a history major. I was actually pretty, pretty set on history and then um, took a couple of history classes and liked them, but um, was really more drawn to some of the cultural studies classes I was taking and got sucked into the Scott Denham orbit. So then he decided that I should be a global lit major. Um, and I agreed with him. I, I really appreciated the flexibility that uh, the center gave me and um, the fact that I, I had kind of the latitude to do what I wanted without thinking too much about requirements, even though there are requirements. Um, and uh, yeah, by the end of my sophomore year, it was pretty clear that that was what I was gonna do. So as, as someone who teaches in the history department, whenever a CIS major says, you know, oh, well, I thought it might be history, but then I think, gosh, what classes did you take? Why didn't you take mine? But we won't go there. We're not gonna go there, Dolly. What I am gonna ask you is, do you remember some of the cultural studies classes or one that you took that ha that got you into that Scott Denham orbit and thinking about this? Yeah, um, well, Dr. Don't worry, Dr. Tilburg says the same thing to me every time we have a conversation, so. Um, Telling so, the party line. Yeah, really, it's 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 suffocating. Um, the two classes my freshman year, or the three classes my freshman year that really made it clear to me were um, Dr. Fosch's uh, French colonial empire class. I didn't. I did a tutorial that was in the fall. I did a tutorial with Dr. Denham on uh, Crystal Wolf, who's this um, post-war German author who deals a lot with memory and guilt and. Um, the politics of being complicit, really. And uh, Dr. Utkin, who's now at Wesleyan, his Queer Russia class, which is really kind of a big, um, uh, exactly like kind of squarely in cultural studies as opposed to literary studies, which is where Dr. Fosch and Dr. Denham would really be. But um, it was those three classes that kind of made me realize I wanted something more synergistic to use a bit of a buzzword. That's excellent. Um, and it's nice that it started in your first year at Davidson that you started to put those things together. So obviously with global literary theory being a center design major, a center established major, excuse me, you weren't, um, you weren't sort of crafting the major. You had a little bit of a template to follow, but you did mention that you liked some of the flexibility that you've had in the major. And I know that you spent um, time abroad as well. So could you talk a little bit about how that abroad time worked into the major? Well, I mean, my abroad time I used is basically a time to think a lot about my thesis. So I've done a, I did basically a year of just what is my thesis going to be. Um, but um, I think, well, the fact that I got so many credits out of the way early and then declared global lit kind of retroactively allowed me to take a year abroad. Whereas if I had, if I had been a history major, I wouldn't have been able to do that year. Um, and I, I basically took that year to think a lot about uh, French and Francophone studies from the perspective of French people get really good at the language and think um, 
and just kind of like expand my sense of like expand my scope basically instead of just narrowing it down and then once I got back from abroad was that was the hard work of trying to figure out what was what was I actually going to do <laughs> as opposed to these like broader questions. And I have a bit of a different question. In your time at Davidson, are there things that you've done outside of the major um, in terms of extracurricular activities or other things that have been important in your Davidson experience? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff that feels like it is it has been the most important to me has been actually kind of like quasi campus activism around the school's religious affiliation and what it means to be someone who is not Christian at Davidson. Um, and that is absolutely work that inform and experiences that inform my thesis work, which has to do with being non-Catholic in a Catholic country um, and shifting senses of multiculturalism. But um, yeah, the work I did with the Jewish Studies Initiative, the work I'm doing now to uh, bring attention to the bylaws and the conversation with regard to that, those are two easy examples of things that not only inform my thesis, but have been perhaps like the most important experiences I've had at Davidson. Yeah, now that's synergy, right? <laughs> In terms of thinking about the kinds of I've given you too good, too, too, some material is a little too, too good. No, but I, I think that's great. And I was actually wondering a little bit about the potential connectedness to what you're doing in the thesis um, to some of the things that are going on at Davidson and more broadly. So I appreciate you mentioning that. So you've, you've brought up the thesis now a couple of times and you recently gave a presentation on uh, this thesis in, in progress. So can you tell us a little bit about the project? And I, and I know that there, there are different layers here. There's the context and then there's the, um, the analysis and argument. So tell us a, a little bit about sort of, you know, what the topic is and how you got there. Yeah, I've been working on my elevator pitch, as Dr. Fosch calls it. Um, she told me early on, I think as a freshman, that like when you have a large project, you need to develop your elevator pitch because otherwise you'll go crazy trying to spend 10 minutes explaining everything to everyone. But um, I mean, like the, the five minute answer is I'm interested in uh, Jewish identity in uh, the second half of the 20th century and the first part of the 21st century in France. And the context is really that there are these shifting senses of what it means to be French, what it means to be a Republic and what it means to live in a multicultural society. And coming out of the, uh, the ashes of World War II, Jewish identity is really trying to find a, a coherent niche or, or at least a place among these like competing, not only notions, but anxieties of, of a shifting nation. And so I've taken a couple of literary works produced in the seventies, nineties, and like in the last year um, that and one that's like sort of bridging, um, no, one that was produced in the 80s. So I guess it does bridge the 70s and the 90s, but um, that speak to this or try and articulate this sense of like Jewishness after the second world war, but also amongst people who are like inarguably more, more oppressed, so to speak in France. And I guess the, the specific question I'm asking is like, what is a Jewish sub or a Jewish alterity after world war II? Um, and how is that articulated? So, um, and I can get more into the works, but that it, my, my time in France really did uh, help me kind of come to that question in a more coherent way, as opposed to what I was thinking about doing before I left, which is like a broad-based literary study of like experimental forms, you know, in, in the fifties, it was really a mess, but this is much more interesting. So in terms of how the time in France informed this, I mean, I'm, Obviously, I'm sure there was some level of change in terms of 
your ability to read in French and interpret things in a particular way. But I'm wondering, in addition to that, and you may want to say something about um, reading the, the text in the original and, and what that means. But in addition to that, what kinds of experiences did you have in France that really helped inform the broader project? Well, I think living there allows you to get a better sense of how French people talk about race, which is very different from how Americans talk about race. Um, you know, the standard French intellectual line is that Americans are blinded by race and can't talk about class. And Americans feel like the French are blinded by class and talk, can't talk about race. And um, like the reality is that this sense of like multiculturalism that the US really kind of, uh, I don't know, um, claim really claimed in the 70s, 80s, and 90s um, is a very new thing for France, um, so to speak. I, like, again, speaking in generalizations. And um, like existing as somebody who was racialized as Arab in France really made me um, think a lot about like different dynamics and how they play out on an intellectual level, but also how they play out on a material level. So like every day, what those interactions were like when people um, thought my name was a specific like Arabic name instead and like how they treated me um, was a specific experience. And then also like watching kind of like the typical their version of like MSNBC, for instance, and seeing French intellectuals talk about race in this very, what I felt to be clumsy way. Um, and that that was really, that cultural specificity gave birth to a more, more coherent or like more grounded thesis. Yeah, thanks for that. The, those are the kinds of things that I was wondering about, right? And I was just actually commenting to, I was having a conversation with a professor in um, the psychology department this morning and saying that, you know, I've, I haven't been able to get to my lab you know, for 16 months, right? So, um, because there is that being in situ that, um, you know, when you're working on a research project, you have these experiences or you observe certain things that are going on, like, as you mentioned, the television channel. Um, and it, it really provides um, all sorts of insights that you would never imagine if you were sitting in Davidson, for example. So a, a couple of questions that follow on that. Um, I wonder if you might say a little bit about the specific text that you're that you're analyzing for the thesis, or to go from this the broad topic to tell us a bit about the um, literary works that you've chosen. Yeah, so I've chosen works that are kind of very much within the French canon, or at least the cultural canon as defined by perhaps their more prestigious prizes or awards. Um, I've taken um, Life Before Us by Roman Gary uh, under a pen name, but um, he was the author, which won the most prestigious literary prize in France in 1975. The Hade by Matthew Kasovitz, which um, is a movie that they show in like high school French classes to give you a sense of how canonized that is. And then uh, You Look Like a Jew by Chloe Corman, which has yet to be translated, but came out in 2020. and. Um, uh, was published by one of the most prestigious literary uh, publishing houses in France, which itself is a very big deal. Um, and then I'm also looking at, at The Imaginary Jew by Alan Finkelkraut. Anyway, so these, these four works, really three, and then Imaginary Jew kind of, kind of came in later and is more like a philosophical treatise on postmodern Jewish identity. Um, these three works really pitch Jewishness as um, uh, an identity that puts Jewish people in solidarity or in friendship with third world peoples who came from, you know, put what used to be colonies of France are now independent nations um, and are seen as exclusively not French essentially by some of the more rigid cultural gatekeepers in France. 
And I found that to be particularly interesting because after World War II, there was almost this anxiety or guilt among the French cultural vanguard saying that, well, clearly our anti-Semitism abetted and aided um, the Nazi genocide. Jews having paid the price for this ultimate evil, racism, are now going to be assimilated into, again, like mainstream cultural, French cultural society, as long as they are assimilated, obviously. Um, and again, I'm talking broadly, but really this, this self-articulation on the part of these white bourgeois authors um, of an identity that is subaltern, that is to say like in, in these rundown neighborhoods that are on the periphery of cultural conversation, working with people who are Arab or black is, is a vast departure from how uh, many French intellectuals or uh, elites see white Jewish people who are again, ethno, ethnically European and have these crazy Eastern European names in some senses, but are seen as French because generationally they have been here. That is, that is kind of the line. Um, and so it's in that tension that I really kind of wanted to, to figure, figure out what was going on. So this is someone who works on, you know, I'm a, I'm a Latin American historian. So I work on things that are completely different from this. And I'm really curious, I suppose, another kind of question thinking about authors, and that is, where does this exploration of this particular um, expression of French identity and its connection to Jewishness, how is that talked about by other scholars who work on um, literary theory? Are you, are there particular people whose arguments about French identity you're um, engaging with and maybe um, you're arguing against or you're, um, you know, um, are sort of complementing a particular argument? If you think about kind of the literature review piece of this, who, whose work does this engage with or is this something that is completely new and pathbreaking and no one has done this before? Um. Sometimes it feels like I'm having a conversation with myself. Obviously, there are some like very big thinkers who are thinking about this. Like Sartre is like the the guy that everyone asks me if I'm reading. Like, are you reading Jew and anti semite mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, yes, of course. Like, I have it here. Um, but the thing is that I mean, it's not very relevant Jew and anti-Semite, at least to what I'm doing, because Sartre is way more concerned with the anti-Semites and what anti-Semitism does to Jewish people. Whereas something that, again, really interested, interested me in these texts is that like particular like Jewish hatred or like Judeophobia does not really show up in, in these texts. It's more a matter of historicized uh, anti-Semitism by virtue of the Holocaust or, you know, just like things that happened broadly in the past. Um, Albert Memmi is a person, Alan Finkelkraut, of course. And then um, Hannah Arendt came up, not as a literary theorist, but as someone who has written very broadly about Jewishness and Jewishness as a political category um, and the development of the racialized Jewish identity. And that particular aspect of the argument is something that has been really difficult to articulate because there's this massive taboo um, as far as talking about Jews as a race after the Holocaust. And it's this lacuna that really kind of mirrors some of what's going on in these texts. One of my preliminary theses or like hypotheses is um, that the authors, these white bourgeois people who write these literary um, or create these literary works that uh, imagine Jews to be in solidarity with, uh, like I said, more subaltern people, mm -hmm. um, they're really, uh, articulating almost a sense of 
alterity that no longer belongs to Jews, almost an appropriation of an Arab identity. And I mean, like the two, the novel and the film that I'm looking at were seen as pathbreaking uh, insofar as like reinventing an Arab novel and like the Bamnia film or like the, the ghetto film in France. So what does that mean if you have these like very privileged white people creating a mode of expression that then became the predominant mode of expression for Arab, a generation of Arab and black writers. Um, and like, that's, that's an aspect of the conversation that's not being had. Right, and it, it's interesting in terms of the names that you mentioned, a couple when you mentioned, um, you mentioned Sartre and you mentioned Hannah Arendt. And so in a, it's not as though they were writing recently. <laughs> and so what, what's interesting to me about that in terms of you saying, well, I feel like I'm having a conversation with myself. It's okay to have a conversation with yourself. Right? It helps you um, figure out what you're, what you're analyzing. But I do think that the, um, the ways in which you um, are sort of pulling a conversation forward or sort of maybe starting a new thread of a conversation in terms of what's been written about this topic um, sounds, um, sounds really exciting. So uh, congratulations on that, Dahlia. Well, what I'll say also is that like, there are some other writers in the French colonial empire like France Fanon and M.A. Césaire who are having mm -hmm. a similar conversation but in a different con context, which right. is black subjecthood, um, right. black subjectivity. And this is kind of where I'm getting this thread of the argument that is like, well, so if they're, if these Jewish people are not articulating an inherent Jewishness or a particularity, then like, where are they? Are they inventing something new completely or are they looking to something else? Um, and Fanon and Césaire are actually people who are thinking about Jews and race at this time, or at the time of Sartre and Arendt, like again, right. not recent, not recent, <laughs> but I wanna credit them and say like, I, I'm, not, I'm not reinventing the wheel here. Right, not reinventing the wheel, but in terms of taking this particular set of literary works, um, right, creating an argument about those. And so I've, that that's what sounds really exciting about it. And I'm glad you've, uh, you've drawn uh, Fanon into to this as well. Um, and of course, as director, I get to read your thesis at the end of the year. So I'll be very excited to see how this develops um, and uh, um, uh, won't be going to it um, with you know zero knowledge, I have a, a little bit of a base now. So thanks for sharing that with us. Oh, of course. Um, I I wanted to ask a question that is, uh, I suppose, a little bit related to the points you made about your activism at Davidson, and I and I know the the current. Um, so the, the current issue that's sort of right in front of us is, is the bylaws issue, but clearly you've done activism around your studies at Davidson. Um, and then also another way to interpret this could be thinking about the uh, current context of pandemic and elections. But I'm wondering if those things, um, I'm sure your work informs how you think about those things, but do, does your experience of this activism or your experience of the, con the context in which we're living right now, does it ever inform the way you're reading the text or thinking about the thesis? It's a really great question. I mean, something I think about a lot is that the experience I'm having as a Jewish student at Davidson is not an experience that many Jewish people have, uh, which is to say, uh, a non-Christian student at a school that is still very Christian, uh, despite the best efforts of some people here. And um, even the, the far right manifestation my, my sophomore year, how that is increasingly 
it feels increasingly the norm, but is also still pretty far removed from like the everyday experience of many people. Um, and I mean, honestly, it informed my time in Europe as far as understanding fascism and like the rising tide of authoritarianism to be much closer than I, uh, mm-hmm. I originally thought it was or something that could touch my life as well. Um, and I'm not saying that to be alarmist or, or hyperbolic as much as it's, as someone who was born in the late 90s, it feels very historicized uh, to me personally in a way that uh, I think is maybe a little dangerous. So anyway, that is to say, like, thinking about race in the shadow of the Nazis, <laughs> the shadows of the Nazis at Davidson and the shadows of the Nazis as they were, um, has definitely has definitely informed itself. It's really kind of like a self-referential thing. Right. And quite powerful one at that. Um, this is uh, a lot to, to chew on in a sense um, as, you, as you're working through this this year. And... Um, yeah, I'm sort of wondering, well, between now and when you defend the thesis, what other threads will have been tied in here, but we'll just hope that there aren't that many more that we need to anticipate, um, let you work with those texts and the experiences that It is an, under, it is an undergraduate thesis. <laughs> it is an undergraduate. So uh, we're, we're running, uh, running out of time here, and there are normally a few uh, sort of at closing questions that I ask students, but um, I, I'm i trying to pick which one I wanna ask you. I think I wanna ask you, um, it, if you look out five years, is there a dream job? Have you completed a dream graduate program? Is there a place in the world that you wanna be? Um, what, do, what do you think about looking ahead? Yeah, it's, I mean, there's an emerging conversation on the Jewish like progressive left about these these kinds of things like what it actually means to be in solidarity like to have a politics that is informed by a Jewish identity and be in solidarity with people or people who are in, who hold non-majority identities. Um, I'd really like to see that conversation developed. I don't know if I'll become you know one of the leading luminaries on that topic, but um, I'd really like to see. I'd like to be in a place where those conversations are more accessible. Davidson, North Carolina, is perhaps not that place. Um, New York, maybe more so, and even uh, progressive enclaves in Israel. Um, I don't really know if there's a dream job or a dream program, but um, I would definitely like to like to believe that this sort of activism remains a part of my life and a part of my Jewish identity. So do you think about your writing as a kind of activism? I see it engaged in a conversation that is like an urgent conversation that is happening right now. I don't know if I would go as far as to say like this thesis is activism, um, <laughs> but I would say that it, it is uh, helpful because it's crystallizing my my political thoughts and my political views on, on a topic like this and topics adjacent to it. Um, and so I'm, I'm thankful for this opportunity, which I didn't think I would have at Davidson that I've really carved out for myself, which I think is something that the center really allows you to do. And look at that, you've answered the other question <laughs> I would have asked you. <laughs> Perfect. I agree, I agree with you. And I, you know, as I'm sort of reflecting on the work that you've done at Davidson and the questions and the issues that you have asked um, the faculty, students, um, the administration, and now the board of trustees to consider, um, thank you for all of that. And uh, it's wonderful to see you developing 
a very serious senior honors thesis along the way. Uh, so great job and um, pat on the back and good luck slogging through the next few months of thesis research. Um, I hope that conversation with yourself and with your advisors continues to be a fruitful one. Thank you very much, Dahlia. Thank you, Dr. Mingan.